to be with you. Uh, I love your setup, and thanks, David, for the invitation. And I believe it's come through Susie Kirkham, your administrator. And Susie's a great woman, and I had a privilege of teaching her when I was lecturing at the college. She's terrific. Now I'm going to manipulate the slides myself and if something goes wrong I'll signal to David number two uh, and uh, just ask to hand over to him. But we're doing all right at the moment. Okay, so let's, let's get into the story. Uh, Ellen Arnold. Look at those dates if you can read them. She actually died in 1931, which is nearly 100 years ago. So this is a long, long time ago. I've still got friends who were born about that time. Not too many of them are left. Uh, a saint. A saint of the church. What do we mean by saints? Well, if somebody says to you, you're a saint. You're a legend. You're a legend. You step in when things are difficult. You come to the party when there's trouble. You show up. You're just one of those terrific people that can be counted on. Um, we might have friends and family members like that, neighbours. We may be those people ourselves, hopefully, from time to time. Um, this woman on the right-hand side in the picture is a real saint. That's her son to the left. And we always talk about her, my friend Judith, as a saint. Why? Well, she was widowed early in her life. She supported kids with um, drug addiction issues, helped to raise their grandkids. She's uh, supported them through mental health challenges. And she just gets on and does life. She's a person of faith. She's quiet. She has profound hearing difficulties, so she wears hearing aids. And she's a great friend to many in her own quiet, kind and practical manner. And she's been a great friend to me. And she doesn't judge people. She's one of those people who's thoroughly trustworthy. She's not passive. She's quiet. But she strongly supports people on the margins, people in trouble. And she is someone who inspires me. And really, that's what a saint is. Somebody who just gets on, often very ordinary people, uh, unlike perhaps those people there in the pictures, that might be the image that we have of saints through the history of the church. The person on the right has been an Australian saint, Mary MacKillop, uh, grew up, born in Fitzroy, friend of the poor, educated kids, looked after old people. She was with the Catholic faith and she often had a lot of challenges and fights with some of the Catholic hierarchy because she was a strong advocate for the poor of her time. Ellen Arnold. Why have I chosen Ellen Arnold? Well, she's a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. Very open Baptist. Look, I'm worshipping here coming to speak with you at Church of Christ. Uh, but, you know, I'm a Christian, follower of Jesus. That's the main thing. She served as a missionary in what we would know as Bangladesh, the country of Bangladesh today. So just that very 
heavily populated country, kind of to the right of India, but it used to be part of India and it was called Bengal, East Bengal. And that's where she went to work. She worked there as a missionary for 50 years until her death. So she went out in 1882, came back in 1931. She had some time back in Australia for ill health reasons. But that was the people among whom she lived. She was the daughter of English migrants and we've talked about countries we've come from or maybe our ancestors have come from. She settled in South Australia as a young woman and she joined the city church there, the Flinders Street Baptist Church. And its minister, its pastor, was the Reverend Silas Mead. Um, and in those early days, he was a bit limited in his view of what women could or should be doing. But he gradually broadened his view and became a great supporter of women in ministry and mission. Ellen Arnold went out with a friend, colleague, um, when she was only 26. Her friend, colleague, Marie Gilbert, was 24. They were both school teachers and they travelled to uh, East Bengal, Bangladesh, to work with the women uh, of Hindu and Muslim faith who lived in what was known as the, the Zanana. That was the home. They were in seclusion in the private space. They didn't go out into the public. So they gathered in their homes in that Zanana space. Um, Ellen Arnold grew very sick only about 18 months after she'd arrived and she was repatriated. She had to come back to Australia. But she didn't waste the time in Australia. Silas Mead wrote to all the churches, all the Baptist churches of the colonies as they were in those days and New Zealand and said, hey, we reckon you should listen to this woman. She's got a great message. And so Ellen Arnold went all around and she enlisted a group of women, they were called the Five Barley Loaves, who went out to work with her and then went off to various regions of Bengal or Bangladesh in mission. Ellen Arnold established other missionary centres, schools, medical work. She purchased property. She supervised buildings. She preached. She evangelised among groups of men and women. She raised funds. She set up schools and medical dispensaries. She shared in relief programs. And she helped establish the Bengal Baptist Union. Everyone thought, well, when she gets old, she'll come back to Australia. She'll retire back in Australia. But this was not to be. Experiencing culture shock when she returned home, she booked her boat passage back to Bengal. Because she said, the fare back equaled the cost of a funeral. I'm going to save the Missionary Society that money. I'm going back to Bengal. She was determined not to be a burden. She moved to a thatched, mud-floored village hut and lived close to the women for the remainder of her life. And they said of her, Ellen Arnold chose to live among us. She was buried there. And to this day, the Bangladesh Baptist Union still observes the 9th of July 
as Ellen Arnold Day. What a remarkable woman. What a remarkable woman. But let's unpack her story just a little bit more because like all of us, she didn't get to do and be that from nowhere. We all have different influences. We all have different life stories. We're all born in different places, brought up differently and have different influences in her life. And so it was with Ellen Arnold. Large family, quite well off in England, a Christian home. Her mother was very significant in her life. And Ellen talks about being converted at the age of 11. Her father was a jeweller, so there were, there were resources, there was money. She was baptised at the age of 20 in a Baptist church in Birmingham. She writes about an experience that she had of Jesus. And as I was looking at the cross over here on the right-hand side, my right-hand side of your auditorium, she talks about how it was Jesus on the cross who really spoke to her and convicted her of her sin and how kind and good he was to her. And she was always conscious of the presence of God in her life from a very early age. Her family migrated to South Australia, Adelaide, in the time before Australia became a nation, before Federation, when it was still a colony. And when gold was discovered in Victoria in the 1850s, some 20 years before Ellen Arnold's family migrated to South Australia, all the men went off to the gold fields, leaving a whole lot of women and children behind in South Australia. And, you know, how could those women manage without the men? Well, they managed pretty well, actually. When the men came back, they'd, they discovered that, you know, they had to sort of move adjust their roles because these women were fairly outspoken and articulate. And it's not surprising to learn that South Australia was the first state uh, to grant the vote for women in 1894, before any other colony. Uh, and it was only New Zealand that granted the vote to women in 1892. So the Kiwis were pretty ahead in all of that. But it was also a good place if you were a girl and you wanted to go to school and go on in your education. There was higher education for you. There was a teacher's college. You could even go to university, which wasn't the case in the other colonies like Victoria or New South Wales or Queensland. So it was actually a good place for young women who thought that they might have a special calling to serve God and maybe missionary service might be the way to go. If they weren't married, um, so they weren't becoming wives and mothers, maybe God could use them, not in the home churches, but overseas. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Ellen Arnold shared a, a love and an interest in missionary service um, with the minister of her church, the Reverend Silas Mead very impressive, influential pastor. We all know how important pastors are in our lives. They can encourage us or they can discourage us. And Silas Mead was one of those people who encouraged people, Baptists throughout Australia, people in his church, 
Ellen Arnold, Mari Gilbert, to think about missionary service. And indeed, that church sent out those two women, Ellen Arnold and Mari Gilbert, for service in East Bengal, in India, as it was in those days. But why India and why missionary service? Now, these days, we just take it for granted that people have served in other countries of the world and that other countries send missionaries to our country as well. But it wasn't always the case. And it was a man by the name of William Carey, whom many of you may have heard of. He, uh, in the late 18th century, he was repairing shoes. He was a cobbler, shoemaker, and he was also a village school teacher who loved to read. And he was fascinated by the journeys of Captain Cook in the Endeavour. Cook sailed all around the world, mapped the countries he visited, including, of course, as we know, Australia. And William Carey had read that commission of Jesus to the disciples, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and he said, this applies to all Christians and it applies to us now in our time. Yeah, we say, of course it does, doesn't it? But in his time, lots of churches, lots of very smart theologians were saying, no, 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 William Carey. If God wants those people in other parts of the world, India and all of that, to be converted, God will do it himself. doesn't need us. That command, that commission of Jesus was for back there in the first century when Jesus was living on the earth. And Carey and others, William Carey challenged that idea and he said, no, that's for us now. And got support and went to India, established the uh, British Baptist Missionary Society and the work in India uh, would go on from there. It was hard work, it was difficult, conversions were few. He was a publisher and he translated scripture into many, many different languages. And he was the person and the mission to India fired the imagination of Christians all around the world and particularly Baptists living in Australia and New Zealand. So that was the place to go. It was almost a romantic notion. India, a British colony. Let's have a picture. And of course, what made it possible, that's not India obviously, that's a steam engine. If you're going to travel in those days, you had to get from A to B. William Carey would have gone in a sailing ship, but then the steam engine was invented and there was steam powering boats uh, and so it was easier to travel. And, of course, now we can cruise the world if we want to. Going to that great continent, that jewel in the crown of the British colonies, India. There it is in the pink, part of a colonial empire as it was. So that's why India and why missionary service there, because William Carey had inspired this movement and he's often referred to as the architect or the father of the modern missionary, as in Protestant missionary movement. Well... That's the region in red, uh, East Bengal, eastern part of India, 
Bangladesh towards the right there. That's where Australian Baptist missionaries led by Ellen Arnold and a group of women known as the Five Barley Loaves began their ministry and they worked with these women, Hindu and Muslim women, in the Zanana, in those domestic places, going into their homes. Men couldn't do it. Men missionaries wouldn't have been able to do it. It was only the women who could go. And when Ellen Arnold was recruiting uh, on that uh, return to Australia during a time of ill health, she recruited five women, or four women if you include herself, five, all young women in their 20s from the different colonies of Australia, all committed Christians wanting to put their faith into practice, all single women as it happened, and they went off and they shared a house for a period of time. Wouldn't have been easy. Clash of personalities, uh, crowded housing, learning the language, dealing with the food, the climate, all the cultural changes of the time. Uh, but they did it. A couple of them died. One died of cholera. Uh, Ellen Arnold and two others basically... Uh, serve for the remainder of their lives on that Indian mission field. Well, just a few things to finish up. Um, in the society in which Ellen Arnold lived, there were some cultural challenges about the way that men and women related to one another. And these were single women. And women in Bengali society were known primarily as wives and mothers, and particularly mothers of sons. So if you were a married woman and you didn't have a son, you were a nobody. Daughters didn't count, only sons. That's still the way some people think today, isn't it? And the, in, uh, the British colonials who lived there, the Raj, their women were known by their status as wives, as married women. So here was this group of single women. Some of them did eventually marry and have families of their own. Um, how were the, how was the society going to relate to them and view them? In fact, the society viewed them very highly and a number of the Hindu and Muslim converts referred to them and particularly to Ellen Arnold as a mother in God, a mother in God, a term of honour and recognition. For Ellen Arnold and the women, the important thing about the mission that they undertook was the way they lived. Yes, words would need to be used, but primarily they recognised that it was the life that they lived which would have the impact upon the people among whom they were ministering. They were observed by servants that they were expected to employ. They were discussed in the local markets and bazaars. Wherever they travelled, people commented on them. If they were to be heard, they had to become accepted outsiders. During times of famine, 
Alan Arnold distributed relief to many women. They recognised that relationships were crucial. Ellen Arnold housed many people in need, the sick, the homeless, the children caught in the web of broken marriages and desertion. Her aim and the aim of all those women was to proclaim the gospel in whatever way was appropriate to that culture. And that meant understanding something of the religious life of the people Arnold tried to relate to the people she met, most of whom in the villages were Muslim. She was aware of common teaching between Muslims and Christians. She knew what was in the Quran and could relate some of that teaching to what was in the Bible. She knew how to relate to them. She was sensitive, particularly to those women's needs. And also she worked well with the Hindu converts, the males, who themselves had a role as missionaries, missionary agents, and she listened to their advice. She didn't try and lord it over them. She was recognised by the Indian government, but I don't think that made a difference to her. The only recognition she cared about was the affirmation of Jesus Christ, her Lord and her Saviour. When she died, she was buried by the side of the road with this epitaph. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Ellen Arnold walked this way, preached this truth and lived this life. What are we to learn from her story? I suggest a few things, but you might have some other things to think about and uh, you can see some questions there. My reflections are this. She obeyed the call of God and it was a big vision. She had courage and faithfulness to step out of the known and the comfortable, trusting in God. She recognised the need to be educated and trained, to learn skills like medical skills to assist the people, to learn languages that would communicate. She was prepared to go against her own cultural norms of the day about what a single woman should and should not do back then, 100, 150 years ago. Ministry mission was a team effort she could not do it alone, she worked with others. But she also empowered others, delegated responsibility and listed others and needed her community of faith for support. And the model of mission she worked upon was expressed by John chapter 1 verse 14 where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took on flesh, became a human being and lived among people. And she lived among her people, the people of East Bengal. She was not a fly-by-night. She was in it for the long haul. She wasn't perfect. She had blind spots, as we all do. She would have been a bit of a 
difficult personality at times, I think, to deal with, particularly by the authorities. But that's okay. God can use us, whoever we are, for God's grace is always made perfect in our weakness. Thank God for Ellen Arnold. What can you learn from her story? I've put some questions there for you to think about. There might be just one that you'd like to take up. And I don't quite know how you do this in your service, but a few minutes, is it? Um, would you like me to read the questions or is it okay? No, you can all read. Unlike the women that Ellen Arnold was working with in Bangladesh. Bangladesh. 